A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Hi, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm Dr. Ishan. Recently, I noticed quite some new moms bought my insomnia online course. During the Q&A sessions, I learned from them there are actually a lot of moms having sleep problems during and after pregnancy. Then how would sleep change during our pregnancy exactly? What can we do to prepare for it better? I had a really fun conversation with Dr. Jade Wu, a psychologist and sleep specialist at Duke University. She was at the end of her own pregnancy when we recorded this episode, and she offered some great insights and tips to us. I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Hi, Dr. Jade Wu. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to being on this show. I'm really excited. I know we've been uh, working together a little bit uh, for a while, actually. So uh, it's great to have you on the show. I know today we're going to talk about an interesting topic I think a lot of audience are really interested in. That is women's sleep during and after pregnancy. Yes, I am so passionate about this topic. I think it's so important. And I think there's not enough information out there for people to, because a lot of people think, oh, well, sleep is messed up, obviously, during pregnancy and obviously after pregnancy, during postpartum. Oh, well, that's life. Um, But there's actually a lot to know and a a lot of ways to help. So I'm just um, very excited about sharing what information I can. Yeah, totally agree. I have friends asking me, clients asking me about this question. I think especially during the COVID, a lot mm-hmm. of people around me start giving birth to babies, get pregnant, right? So this yeah. is becoming an interesting, more rising topic. So yeah, yeah what, how was your own pregnancy goal? And uh, is that something related to, uh, like, is that how get you interested in this topic? Well, that's part of what got me really interested in this topic. I was already interested before because I um, did a uh, residency and fellowship rotation in fertility and then in perinatal anxiety and depression. So during this time, even though those training opportunities had nothing to do with sleep, I just over and over and over again saw how much sleep uh, was disrupted, you know, for people trying to get pregnant, people who were pregnant, people who were, had, had their babies. Um, and then, of course, when I had my own baby, my firstborn was born two years ago uh, at the very beginning COVID, then it became real personal too. So I, that's why I'm particularly interested in this. And yeah, I experienced a lot of interesting changes in my sleep during my own pregnancies. Now, I'm currently pregnant with number two. You can't see, but I'm extremely big. I'm like, uh, 30, almost 37 weeks pregnant. So uh, now I've been to pregnancy twice and it really throws your sleep for loop first trimester, for example. And I'm not the only one who experiences this. This is, I had a pretty typical experience both times, which is that first trimester 
extremely tired and sleepy. I was sleeping about 11 hours at night and maybe one to two hours during the day, which is a lot more than I usually slept. And I also had a little bit more insomnia uh, during nighttime sleep. Second trimester was actually pretty good. Not, not bad. A little bit of discomfort starting, but overall actually really good energy levels. And I went back to my previous baseline sleep patterns. And then third trimester, very tired, lots of insomnia, uh, lots of interruptions in sleep uh, for many reasons that we can get into. And then postpartum was also very interesting. It's like I took a little tour through every sleep disorder, almost every sleep disorder that exists very briefly, including the parasomnia. So if you want to get into that, we can talk in more detail about the hallucinations, the, you know, sleepwalking, the, you know, things like that that happened too. So in a way, it was a good professional training experience for me to go through this because now I really understand full, uh, firsthand when my patients describe all of their sleep issues. Right. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like you have experienced a lot. And because of your own professional knowledge, you can really catch a lot of these symptoms and signals and connect that with the science behind it. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm very blessed to have had that knowledge going in to this experience because I can imagine that if I hadn't done the research and didn't know what to look for, it would have been a pretty scary and really stressful experience. It was still stressful, but at least I sort of knew what to expect and knew some coping strategies and whatnot. But that's why I really want to get this information out there for folks because you know, there's not a lot of guidance and it can be a, a very disruptive experience to have your sleep change this much. Right, exactly. I could not find a lot of information on that. And uh, you and I went to some lectures and certain lessons about that. I feel like hmm, they are just talking about general insomnia and other things, right? And not really to into a certain depth. So let's talk about preparing for pregnancy. So before getting pregnant, what are some uh, sleep disturbance people should expect or may experience? Well, that's a great question. So I did work in a fertility clinic for a year and the patients that I worked with were experiencing a lot of anxiety symptoms, um, adjustment disorder type symptoms, depression symptoms, um, just a lot of existential questioning about what it means for them that they may or may not be able to become a parent the way that they had envisioned. So I think there, there's a lot of sleep disruptions because of the upheaval in their um, psychological state. And then for the patients who are undergoing fertility treatments, there's a lot of hormones involved. I mean, just onslaughts of hormones that really um, change a lot of aspects of a person's physical and mental state. Um, and that can disrupt sleep. Fortunately, that is hopefully temporary on the scale of weeks or days and should not hopefully become a long-term problem. And during those times, I just advocate listening to your body and kind of going with the flow of what you need. So you may find that when you're going through fertility treatment, you need a lot more sleep than usual and that's okay. Just go with the flow. But also you may find that some parts of the treatment make it so that you have a lot less need to sleep and more insomnia. Go with the flow then too. Remember that this is temporary and the less you fight 
your body, the more you go with the flow of what your body needs, the more quickly you can get back to baseline once you're done with those hormonal treatments. There's really not a lot of research on fertility treatment and sleep. Going in the other direction, sometimes people wonder, well, do sleep problems exacerbate fertility problems? Like, is it possible that I'm not getting pregnant because I'm not sleeping well? It's really hard to say because there's not a lot of research and the research that we do have is not causal, it's correlational. So we know that just because two things happen together uh, or increase, they, they correlate, doesn't mean that one causes the other. And there's really not enough research to say one way or the other, except that shift work is detrimental to fertility. We do know that uh, pretty well. So general physical and mental health helps fertility. And since I'm not a fertility reproductive endocrinologist, I will not speak any more on that, except to say that it is never too early to solve sleep problems if you have them. So if you have shift work and or snoring or sleep apnea or significant insomnia, it certainly wouldn't hurt your physical and mental health and fertility to have those resolved. So that's my answer for pre-pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. And sounds like to deal with it, right? The acceptance piece you mentioned is so important to understand the process, not worry too much, accept the change, go with the flow can really help people deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's going to be a recurring theme throughout the rest of our conversation because sleep, we have to remember, is an involuntary activity. It's not something that we can work harder to make it happen. It's not like if you try harder to fall asleep, if I tried really hard to fall asleep right now, I still would not be able to because it's not the time and I don't have the sleep drive. You know, if we force ourselves or don't go with the flow or work too hard uh, or have our expectations be too rigid, then that can actually exacerbate the problem. So yeah, going with the flow is, is a big theme. Okay. Yeah. So let's move to during pregnancy, right? Sounds like right right now you're experiencing this right here. And <laughs> there's a lot of different changes across different stage. Yeah. Yeah. So pregnancy, usually we talk about them in three trimesters and there are typical changes that you can expect with a healthy, normal progression of sleep during pregnancy. And usually first trimester is a lot more fatigue and sleepiness. So often women, sometimes they, they find out they're pregnant later on and they reflect back on the first few weeks and they realize, oh my goodness, yeah, I should have known I was pregnant because I was wanting to lay down and sleep anytime I saw a horizontal surface, you know, and that's how I felt. It was just fatigue and uh, sleepiness all the time. And that's for a few reasons. The biggest reason is hormonal. In the first few weeks of pregnancy, a few months even, there are hormones that are increasing just exponentially. And some hormones are doubling every few days. So this is a big, big, I don't want to say stressor on your body, but it's certainly a big change for your body. And some of these hormones, including progesterone are soporific. So they make you more sleepy. They make you more tired. And your body is not used to this much progesterone change. Um, so when you're hit with it, your body is like, Whoa, what's happening? <laughs> oh my gosh. We need to sleep all the time. Um, and maybe evolutionarily, this is because 
when we first get pregnant, our bodies want to signal to us, okay, you're pregnant. Things are different now. You need to rest more. Uh, you need to take really good care of yourself. In no uncertain terms, here's a very clear sign that you need to do that. So I think that makes sense. You know, we need to listen to our body's cue and say, yeah, okay, I do need to rest more. Maybe I do need to um, take better care of my nutrition and be very careful about, you know, what I put in my body or what I what I do with my body, how I spend my time. So go with the flow, rest as much as you need. But I would say resting as much as you need is one thing, but we do want to stay on track. We do want to help our circadian rhythms stay consistent. So still do get up at the same time every day. So between weekdays and weekends, try your best to keep within an hour's wiggle room of when you get up. If you're still very sleepy, take a nap to make up for the sleepiness that you feel. Um, or if you feel very sleepy earlier uh, in the evening, you can go to bed earlier. But keep at least that one anchor firm in your 24-hour cycle, which is when you get up. And if you're, you are going to nap, ideally you want to schedule a nap um, and have it at about the same time, midday-ish, early afternoon-ish every day, instead of haphazardly falling asleep at random times for random durations. So don't nap for four hours in the evening one day and then not nap for two more days and then nap like two more hours in the morning the next day and, and have it be all kind of haphazard. That can interfere with your nighttime sleep and mess with your circadian rhythms. And ironically, that's not going to make you feel more energetic. That actually might make you feel more tired. So um, keeping things consistent is, is really good and get lots of bright light during the day. Even when you're tired, if you're resting, when you're working, when you're eating meals, see if you can do it by a bright window. I have a ring light right here in front of me that I have on um, a lot of the times during the day to make sure I get lots of light exposure and go outside for walks. You know, those are all really good ways to boost and strengthen our circadian rhythm. Uh, am I talking too much? I feel that's, like that's great. I think all these are wonderful information that all the audience who are going through pregnancy or thinking about that, right? I think it's so important for them to know. And I think some of the uh, knowledge you share are tips that generally, no matter whether we are pregnant or not, we should be trying to do. But yeah. also, I think it's very important. The message in it is we really need to listen to our body's signal. And Absolutely. especially during pregnancy, it sounds like there's lots been changing, right? The hormones are changing, our body are changing physically, mentally. It's all changing. So don't ignore it. Don't fight with it. Yes. But what you feel possibly is what your body really needs. It, that's so true. I couldn't have put it better myself. Um, and, and so far in the first trimester, we focused on the hormonal changes. But as we get you know, into later trimesters, second and third, especially third, as you mentioned, we also get into physical changes. I mean, um, you can't see right now, but I have a really big belly. Uh, I've gained, you know, 25% almost of my baseline body weight. My blood volume has doubled. You know, there's joint pain and discomfort. And, you know, so, so your body undergoes through a huge transformation and that certainly can affect sleep in the starting in the second and going into certainly in the third trimester where, um, often people will say, you know, I can't find a comfortable position or I have aches and pains or heartburn. So lying down makes the heartburn worse. 
and nausea in the first trimester, that's one physical change for sure that can disrupt sleep. Um, so these things are kind of unavoidable. So the bad news is that, you know, that comes with the territory of pregnancy. Um, but the good news is that this doesn't necessarily mean it has to doom your sleep. There are things we can do to, you know, work with a physical therapist, for example. That's um, a tip that I will give to every pregnant woman, even before they feel like they need it, to learn stretches and ways of sitting and ways of holding yourself to minimize those discomforts and even to find specific positions for sleeping and like pillows and such that can really help. You also mentioned mental changes and psychological changes. That is really true too, because um, there's a lot of excitement and anxiety and mixed emotions that come with any pregnancy. Um, and especially as we get kind of closer to the end in the third trimester, there's something called the, the nesting drive, which I'm currently feeling a very strong sense of, uh, which is the, oh my gosh, I need to get everything ready. I need to tie up my loose ends, cross my T's, dot my eyes. And there's a lot of mental activity um, that I find keeps me up at night, especially for people who already have had insomnia tendencies, the racing mind, the busy brain experience. This can certainly go into hyperdrive during the later trimesters too. Um, and for those, my advice would be to, again, go with the flow. Don't force it. If you're wide awake, don't stay in bed, get out of bed and do something else to try to compartmentalize your days versus your nights, you know, write your to-do lists and do your nesting, set aside time for that during the day. So you can feel like you're closing a chapter on that and switching gears into evening. And perhaps during pregnancy, it's more important than ever to have kind of a wind down time, like a buffer zone between the day and the night during a time where we can really allow ourselves to physically and mentally switch over from what I call the doing mode to the being mode. Put away the work email. Let's not be goal-oriented. You know, you've done what you can to set up the nursery. This is the time now to switch gears to just take care of your body and, and your mind. Things like keeping a consistent kind of ritual, listening to music, having a nice podcast or audiobook that you like to, to before bedtime can be really helpful and meditations and stretches. Uh, so you can sort of combine the, the physical comfort part of, of stretching and getting into a, um, a physical state that makes it easier to sleep in your bed, even with your big belly, that also calms your mind too. So those things can be really helpful as a bedtime routine. Yeah. So sounds like we need to find different ways, whatever works for you mm -hmm. right, to relax your mind, relax your body. And also I, I'm just having this image. I, I haven't got pregnant before, but just thinking about you are carrying a huge amount of weight around your waist. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> what that may look like, right? How that may impact you. So I really like the suggestion to find professional help to yes. find a physical therapist. And if you need, even you can find a therapist maybe to help you maintain physical and mental health during this process. Absolutely. I think that's such a good suggestion, the, the mental health therapist as well. Um, in fact, I would recommend 
not everybody has access to this. Of course, it's um, we can do a whole thing about access to mental health um, another time. But if someone is able to access mental health care, I would do that preemptively before you feel like you need help because um, anxiety and depression symptoms and, and other mental health needs are so common during pregnancy and even more common postpartum that it's really nice to have already established a relationship with a therapist before you felt like you needed it. And also, as you know, sometimes it takes a while just to get in to see somebody and you might need to try a couple of therapists to find the, the, the best uh, fit. And sometimes talking to a therapist, you realize that there are things that you're sort of holding and the anxieties and sleep problems and things that you're not aware of. And just by speaking to one preemptively, you realize you can actually work on some things before they really become a problem. So for myself, I started seeing a therapist during my second trimester in my first pregnancy, even though I felt pretty good at that point, I knew that some stuff was probably going to come up and I wanted to be prepared. And that ended up being such a good decision. I ended up seeing this therapist through the rest of my pregnancy and for the six months postpartum. And that was like a truly, truly helpful thing for, for my mental health, for my sleep, for everything. Um, so highly recommend that. Yeah, I think that's also a good point on the finding a therapist part started early, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, I run a clinic right now. I know how busy we are. It's yeah. it's a long waiting list. Yeah. It's almost like that everywhere. I just yeah. hire someone new. They got filled up within 48 hours. Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think it's a huge need. Uh, it can be hard for you to find a therapist very quickly when you really need it. So try to build a relationship with a therapist you trust early on. And then, you know, it's much easier if you already have a relationship with a therapist. If you want to come back or at a session or something, it's much easier. We always have extra time for um, yeah. <laughs> clients or existing yeah. Because <laughs> you're too nice, right? You can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> hard for the new ones if we are able. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so true. And same thing goes for taking care of your sleep too. Maybe, I mean, it's so hard to find someone who specializes in perinatal sleep. That person almost doesn't exist. Um, I mean, there are a few people who do this research and who know this area well, but are they practicing? You know, are they taking clients? If they are, you know, do they have room in their roster, it, it, it's almost non-existent. So I would say whatever resources you can get working on that early on, even early on in pregnancy, reading about postpartum sleep is going to help because there are actually things you can do during pregnancy to preemptively help postpartum, your baby's sleep and your own sleep. For example, let me just drop one tip now, which is to, well, we've already talked about this, but keeping a consistent circadian rhythm and really boosting your circadian health because your baby inside you is getting a lot of clues from your behavior and your rhythms. So we know from research that pregnant people who have a really strong circadian rhythm have babies that learn their own circadian rhythm quicker. And you really want your baby to learn their circadian rhythm, their days versus nights uh, as quickly as possible because once they do that, everybody gets more sleep. When the baby has more of a rhythm, 
they sleep more at night, sleep less during the day, and you know, requires less care at night. And so that will really help everybody's mental and physical health. Um, so, you know, as you can see, you can already start to prepare for postpartum sleep health for everybody just by doing some things differently now during pregnancy. Right. I, I love that. I feel like that's also such an empowering process, right? The more we know, the more we uh, understand something, the more we prepare, we feel powerful. We feel like we are ready. We are more ready <laughs> than mm-hmm. not knowing. And uh, and also it become less scary uh, because we kind of can predict, we kind of know what may come. We already have some method on hand mm-hmm. does not need to be 100% ready, right? It's still better. <laughs> Absolutely. I think knowing what to expect is already going to help. You know, for example, when someone's pregnant, we usually hear from well-meaning strangers and family and friends, oh, you're never going to sleep again. (laughs) Once the baby comes, it's going to be terrible. So we always hear horror stories and like, People love to tell the worst stories that they know about sleep, not to not to blame well-meaning people for telling us this. But sometimes when you hear this and then your baby comes and you are just delirious and your sleep is really messed up and you don't know what to expect, it feels like it's going to be forever. It feels like it's never going to get better and I can't do this. I'm hopeless. And that will certainly exacerbate any depression symptoms. It can really be detrimental to your confidence as a parent, and it can make it harder for you to help your baby sleep better. And then it becomes a vicious cycle and that can exacerbate sleep problems. Um, But if we know, for example, and maybe we'll just kind of slide a little bit into postpartum sleep here. um, If you know to expect, for example, that your baby will develop his or her own circadian rhythm somewhere between one and three months age, then the first four weeks, six weeks, you can at least look forward to, okay, it really sucks right now, but we can look forward to pretty soon in the future, it's going to get better. And I can expect it to get better at around this time, four to six to eight weeks, you know, baby tends to start having pretty predictable nights versus days. Um, by 12 weeks, they should be sleeping the vast majority of their sleep at night. Um, They're still napping a lot during the day. You can start looking forward to those more consistent nap patterns too. So you can plan your own naps better. Um, You can look forward to your own sleep efficiency, getting back up to normal by one to three months. And one reassuring thing I'll tell expecting parents now is that people tell you, tell you you're going to be sleep deprived for a very long time, but that's actually not necessarily true. Um, especially for parents who get, you know, a few weeks or at least maybe a few months, if they're lucky of maternity leave or paternity leave, um, their sleep can actually get back to pretty normal quantity. Um, so they, they can get back to sleep efficiency. That's baseline normal. They can get back to having enough sleep by about one to three months postpartum. I know that sounds kind of unlike, like, what do you mean? How can you be getting enough sleep if your baby is still waking up at night? Well, a lot of people are sleeping, napping during the day, or they're sleeping a longer, um, window during the night. And, 
it does sound awful to have to wake up multiple times to feed a baby, but it's actually not inherently bad to wake up during the night. Um, you know, as a sleep expert yourself, of course, you know that we wake up naturally many times a night anyways. We just don't remember them. And some of them we do remember, and that's still okay too. So just having this knowledge and accepting that I will be waking up multiple times to take care of the baby, but that's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm not getting the sleep I need can be reassuring. The bigger problem postpartum that we don't talk about very much is just severe circadian disruption. Circadian health really depends on two things. Well, more than two things, but these are the two main ones. One is consistency, which goes out the window when you have a new baby because the new baby doesn't have a circadian rhythm. It's just like sleep or wake whenever, wherever. And two, we really rely on enough light during the day and not too much light at night. The day versus night contrast is the most important thing. But new parents, especially new moms who are the birth-giving parents, experience a huge drop in light exposure in the first few weeks and first few months postpartum. I mean, that's understandable because we're physically recovering. We're just like kind of thrown off our track, you know, we're napping a lot more. We're staying inside, especially during COVID. Uh, We're staying inside more postpartum. So we're not getting that daylight exposure. So that means our circadian rhythms become flatter. So instead of having this nice up and down rhythm of melatonin and body temperature and cortisol and all of that, it's more flat. It looks more like this, which makes our uh, nighttime sleep not as good and makes our daytime functioning not as good. So it's really important to do your best to get that day versus night contrast and to get that circadian robustness back. So even if just for a few minutes, sit outside. Um, If you have a porch or something like that, go to the mailbox, go for a walk around the block. Whenever your body is ready for it, get as much daylight exposure as possible. And even if you can't go outside, sit right up beside a bright window and have your face facing the window, have the light fall on your face. Um, That can make a big difference in your sleep quality. And that'll help your baby also consolidate days versus nights too. Those are sort of the biggest myths versus facts postpartum. It's not so much a sleep deprivation thing. It's more of a circadian rhythm disruption thing. Oh, wow. I think that possibly can correct a lot of myths out there, right? And also, I think most importantly, give us a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't hear all these scary stories, hopeless. There's Uh no way you're going to have good sleep. But it sounds like from what you discussed, your own experience and the science, the clinical observations that we are able to actually still get decent quality of sleep. It just looks slightly different. Exactly. That's a a very good way to put it. And there are actually a few more reassuring things too. One is that our bodies do want to help us. So not everybody chooses to breastfeed and that's totally everyone's choice. Um, I breastfed for a few months the first time. Interesting thing about breastfeeding is that people assume it's going to be bad for their sleep because they're getting up during the night. They have to breastfeed the baby. Um, Whereas they think, okay, if I do formula at night, then my partner or somebody else can feed the baby while I sleep. However, we know from research that actually breastfeeding parents get more sleep, about 45 minutes more per night on average, 
and more deep sleep. And that's because prolactin, the hormone that's involved in lactation, actually promotes more consolidated sleep and more deep sleep. So, you know, your body is like, okay, I know we're going through a lot. So let me throw you a bone. Prolactin is going to help you at least. So I would say if someone is wanting to breastfeed, but afraid to do it at night because they want to protect their sleep, actually go ahead and breastfeed because that's, that might actually help. That probably will help. So that's one piece of good news. Another piece of good news is that uh, when someone is a first time parent, their sleep is more disruptive for longer. But if this is your second or third, or, you know, you've had more children, your sleep actually snaps back to good quality sooner. So some people assume that, oh, the more kids I have, the more I have to deal with and the worse my sleep is going to be. And that may be the case for some folks. But on average, usually uh, people snap back to good sleep a lot sooner with subsequent children. And my theory for the, why that is, is because your firstborn your, you know, your current kids are going to keep you on a strict schedule because my two-year-old toddler, he doesn't care what's like, what obligations I have or what I feel like he's going to wake up at 7am on the dot every day, like a rooster. And I have to get up with him. So my circadian rhythm is so consistent and I have to take him out to play dates and go to the playground and everything. So I'm getting lots of sunlight. So in a way, my toddler is keeping my circadian rhythm robust for me. And that's actually going to get me to get back to good quality circadian rhythm faster for my second baby. So I'm actually um, optimistic that this time around will be easier. Oh, great. I feel like sounds like even some moms did not realize it, right? Actually, their body, their interaction with the children are helping them yeah. to adjust to the new schedule, help them be able to achieve better sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, by knowing, by listening what you talk about, by knowing the science behind it and pay more attention to it, possibly going to help this process go more smoothly, go better. Exactly. Yes. And I think just having more experience and uh, with every aspect of parenting and feeling a little more confident, that probably helps too. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's all reassuring stuff. I think we can tell people and sleep deprivation. The first few weeks, you may very well be going around sleep deprived. So do be careful with driving and maybe don't schedule yourself to drive very far or, you know, give yourself plenty of chances to rest and sleep. And when they say sleep, when the baby sleeps, I would say yes and no. In the first few weeks, do catch whatever opportunity you can to sleep. Um, but as we're getting to be like maybe a month postpartum, as your baby is starting to get more of a circadian rhythm, as soon as you feel ready, we should be trying to get on a really consistent rhythm for ourselves too. So again, don't be napping at random times. Maybe don't nap every time the baby naps because the baby is going to nap like all of the time. Um, so choose one time during the day when the baby is pretty consistently napping a good chunk, like maybe an hour or two during that time and do your nap at that time. And if it's, if you don't get to nap during that time, uh, maybe doze rest a little bit um, to catch up, but don't take like a four hour nap in the evening because that will mess with your nighttime sleep. So get yourself back on that rhythm, get on that night versus day difference um, as soon as you 
feel ready. And that will actually be really good for your sleep quality. So when people say sleep when the baby sleeps, it's like, yes, for, for the first, you know, few, few weeks ish, but not forever and not always like don't sleep every time that baby sleeps. Right. That's so important, right? Sometimes we hear all these suggestions, tips being out there for a while, but yeah. we still need to know what it does to us, whether it fits our situation, what's the science behind it so we can make the choice. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm all about choice because when you understand the science and the rationale, you can cherry pick what works for you and do the things that make sense instead of just following a rigid recommendation, which may or may not make sense for this particular person. Yeah. Right. That's wonderful. Thanks, Jade, for sharing all this wonderful information with us. And if our listeners want to find more about your work and uh, know more what you do, uh, where can they find you? They can find more about me uh, through my Twitter account and my website. And I know you'll, you'll say those in the outro and put in the show notes. So I'll let people read that on their own. Yeah, I'm excited to keep sharing uh, what I can. It's my mission really to translate the science and, you know, give it to the masses. And so I actually have a book in the works that will hopefully come out later this year on insomnia. And I hope to write another book in the future, in the near future, specifically on pregnancy and postpartum sleep. So stay tuned for that. Yes, I look forward to it and have to invite you back once your book is out or about to be out. You have to come back to talk to us about it. Oh, I would love to. That would be really fun. Thank you so much again for having me. This was a great, fun conversation. Yes, thank you for coming. So glad to have you. Do you feel related to anything Dr. Wu shared? If so, leave a comment. Let me know. So after this interview, Dr. Wu delivered her baby. I will invite her back to the show discussing more about sleep after pregnancy in more details. Stay tuned. And of course, if you have any questions on this topic, please send me an email or leave me a comment. Let me know so I can bring those questions up during my next interview with her. You can find my insomnia course in Chinese online at mindbodygarden.com course slash CBTI. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.